Broadcasting live from the phx.fm studio in Phoenix, Arizona. It's time for Valley Business Radio, spotlighting the Valley's best businesses and the people who lead them. Welcome to Valley Business Radio, where we tell the stories traditional media tends to ignore and help connect you with the right people. I'm Adrian McIntyre. Today's show is another installment in our mini-series on financial topics brought to you by the team at Wild Wealth Management Group, an award-winning independent financial advisory firm that provides comprehensive retirement, investment, real estate, insurance, legal, and tax planning services all under one roof. Each Wednesday, professionals from the firm and their trusted partners delve into topics ranging from retirement and the stock market to college planning, real estate, and insurance. Today's episode is about college planning and how to maximize your success while minimizing the cost of college for your family. I'm joined for this conversation by Jason File, an investment advisor representative at Wild Wealth Management Group who specializes in wealth management, retirement income planning, and asset protection planning. Welcome, Jason. Great to be here, Adrian. Also with us is J.D. Wyzalik, a Wild Wealth partner and the founder of azcollegeplanning.com, which has helped 4,000 students in the past 13 years both earn their way into college and earn the scholarships to help them pay for it. JD, I'm excited that you're here. This is a really cool topic. Adrian, I'm super excited to share all this with everybody. Now, before we get into some of the details of this subject, I'd love to know a little bit more in general about your work. Jason, tell us about your role at Wild Wealth Management Group. What kinds of things do you cover and and how'd you get into this? Yeah, so I've been uh, in the uh, financial planning field really since about 2005. Came over to Wild Wealth Management Group in 2018 through a referral contact. Um, Love everything that the firm stands for in terms of just family values within um, how our employees and advisors are treated, but also the family values and how we take care of our clients. Um, I just, I'm a numbers guy. I always have been since I was, gosh, probably in sixth grade and really enjoy um, just just finding solutions for clients with their finances because most people need some form of guidance, whether it's with their investment planning, just debt planning, um, it could be anything, right? So I've enjoyed the industry, um, worked with lots of different people, but really, you know, Wild Wealth Management and my the way that I've tried to run my practice is being a full service um, firm. So we'll help people with retirement planning and debt management and asset protection planning, um, social security planning, um, liability planning, you name it, right? Um, but one thing that was really a big piece of what I learned over time working with clients was the, the two main questions that were given to me typically from a client was, am I saving enough to be able to retire? And how am I going to pay for my kid to go to college? Right. And the easy part for me was figuring out how much to save for retirement. Um, we've got software programs, all that stuff's pretty easy. The challenge was trying to figure out how much to save for college, um, because there's so many different things to consider. If you go to ASU, there's a sticker price versus Harvard, right? So I, I wanted to try to really find the, uh, the proper expert that um, specialized in that. And ultimately, um, my office happened to be a mile away from JD and azcollegeplanning.com. So back in 2016, um, I just connected with him via email, had a meeting and we had a good conversation and I was really amazed to learn 
really how much I didn't know. And most advisors don't know about college aid planning and the pieces to it. And that's kind of how JD and I formed a relationship. And then when I came to wild in 2018, I told Trevor Wilde, the managing partner, and said, listen, we, we've got to bring this guy in. I think he could be a good asset to the team. And Trevor and our firm believes in um, just having the proper partners, right? We have CPAs in the office. We have estate planners in the office. And I thought there's a huge need for college aid planning. Um, so that's, that's why we brought JD in. And um, it's, been, it's been helpful for most of our clients, um, even if it's just educational in nature, but it, it's a big, it was a big void for lots. So that's, that's part of what I do is try to help with that. And then we have the experts to, uh, to send them on over to. Excellent. And we're going to hear JD's side of that story here in just a minute. But JD, I am curious, take us back to 2007 when you founded azcollegeplanning.com. What had you been doing before that? What made you get this idea? And tell us a little bit about the scope of, of what you provide. Prior to 2007, I had been working at uh, one of the local high schools in the IT department. And I had several kids that were my assistants and, you know, go over there and, and put paper in that printer or go reboot that machine and stuff. And the word kind of got out, hey, JD's kind of cool. And I ended up becoming their surrogate counselor. And they would just come in and just ask me just different questions. You know, hey, what do you think about this? Or what do you think about that? Or I got problems with my boyfriend or girlfriend, or I'm thinking about this, uh, taking this class, or I, I don't know what to do about college. And that that question always came up. And, and I really just kind of fell in love with the kids. Also around that same time, I kind of stumbled upon the college planning industry. And I'm like, what the heck is that? And uh, did some research on it and found out, hey, it's exactly what I'm doing and, and really making a serious impact with these kids. And that's uh, how I ended up uh, uh, jumping on board with the uh, college planning industry and azcollegeplanning.com. Now, I find this fascinating because from that perspective, you start this journey very much aligned with the students, their own experiences, their own doubts and, and, and ambitions and all of that that comes with being around young adults at this pretty important yes. phase of their life. And of course, the college planning industry has you dealing a lot with, I assume, parents who are being asked to pay for this whole thing, or in many cases, yes. who might be urging kids who may or may not think college is their future because the, the parents have this kind of inherited status around you have to do X, Y, and Z. So this really puts you right in the middle of a pretty rich set of relationships. Not only are there the technical aspects of this, uh, what's available, how you get it and all that. I want to hear about that. But talk to me first about just being uh, it, uh, someone in the middle of this dynamic of students, their parents, the, the universities, the funding institutions. What's that like? There's a delicate balance between child and parent. Absolutely. And, um, and throw in, into that mix teachers and high school counselors and uh, um, college uh, college recruiters and all those different people. Throw all of those people in there, and we're getting so many different voices at, uh, shouting all kinds of different things. And, and one of the primary things that's shouted is go and find a scholarship. 
And the primary thing with that is they're looking for private scholarships. And you've probably seen dozens of those things where this kid won a $50,000 scholarship from this entity or that entity and all that. Those private scholarships are really hard to get. They're so, the larger the dollar number, the, the more competitive that they are. What I figured out pretty early on in the game is that the college ranking system means everything to the college. The higher the college is ranked, the more money that that college is going to make. So what the colleges are doing is they're looking at all these students and they're asking the question, how will this, how will this student impact our rankings? Is it positive, neutral, or negative? If it's a negative, they're going to reject that student. If it's neutral, yeah, they might admit the student and maybe they'll give them some scholarships. But if it's positive, they're going to do whatever they can to get that kid to go there and they're going to incentivize it by offering scholarships. So that's what I figured out. So now we're going to reverse that and we're going to market the students. I'm showing the students how to market themselves to these colleges. So the college looks at that kid and goes, yes, we need this kid to come to our college. And they're going to offer some incentives, which are the scholarships. And, that, and that's where the big money comes from, is the scholarships and the grants directly from the colleges and from their endowments. So this is a really critical thing you just said, and I'm smiling over here on the other side of the microphone because I used to do something similar with regard to graduate and professional schools. And the key mindset shift for students who are applying to grad school as to college is to realize that while you may be looking at it from the outside and thinking this shiny degree from a prestigious university is what I want, it's what I need, it's gonna help me out. It's so critical to realize that those universities are actually needing you if you're the right fit because of the yes. games they're playing about their rank and positioning and funding, et cetera. That key insight changes everything about how you approach the process. So if you've shifted the focus, now you're going to advise students to do things differently. Talk about that. So let's, let's put some numbers behind that first. So last year, University of California, Berkeley was rated the number one public national university, and they had 101,000 students apply to their college and it costs $70 to apply. If you do the math on that, that's over $7 million that was generated just in application fees. So of course, Berkeley and UCLA and ASU and Texas Christian University, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. They all want more and more and more and more students to apply because the bottom line is they're going to make more money. So when we, when we understand that, then we can start really positioning ourselves to market ourselves to these colleges. I think it's so important that you highlight that fact. Even the application itself is a revenue generator. I don't think they keep 100% of the $70, but the, a big chunk of it is going to them. And so increasing the number of applicants, and this is where those rankings really matter, because although if you understand how rankings actually are made, you begin to question whether or not it's an objective reality. But the, the those top 10 or top 20, those top tier universities and colleges are yeah. absolutely competing for their slice. So any given applicant's uh, family may have only, you know, $1,000 they can spend on those application fees. They're going to divide them up amongst the schools. So as you get deeper into this process, you're obviously also talking to parents who need the smart ones anyway, realize like, okay, this is going to be a significant family commitment. There are some financial... Uh, uh, dynamics to this that are super important to us. Maybe we can afford it. Maybe we can't. They have that kind of general way of thinking. 
talk to me a little bit about the parents' point of view. What do they need to be thinking differently than they are? How do you advise them in the early stage of working with a family to, to kind of get them oriented in the right way as well? There's a ancient Chinese proverb that says the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago, and the next best time is now. So the earlier that, we, that parents start on this process, the more successful and the easier it is to obtain whatever scholarship package that they want. I've started working with uh, students as early as seventh and eighth grade. Uh, with What I really like is working with students that are freshmen in high school and uh, potentially even sophomores. The primary reason why I like freshmen is because their high school resume is completely blank. Now we can choose to do, join different clubs, do different activities, join different hob- uh, do different hobbies and all those different things that will really make those uh, applicants stand out against the sea of uh, over hundreds of, hundreds of thousands of students applying to college. So when I'm talking with parents, what, I, what I'm encouraging them to do is, hey, let's start having this conversation with students early on and, uh, and get them really geared up towards college. One, one of the factors in this whole application process is when we're applying to colleges, we've got to supply an SAT or an ACT test score. And the earlier that students start in that process of taking that test uh, and taking it multiple times over and over again and, and doing some prep and study in between those tests, they're going to end up with some really strong scores. So let's talk about some of these big buckets or big categories of the of the preparation and the planning. So you just mentioned one, which is thinking about how we're going to prepare for and excel on the standardized tests. Uh, there are other t- other big buckets, other big categories that that they need to begin thinking about. Extracurricular activities, you mentioned those as well. But let's talk about the financial side. Jason, back to you, knowing that the family at some point in this process is going to need to fill out the FAFSA form, the free application for federal student aid. It's a standard uh, form. Most people are going to have to fill it out in one form or another because it's used in a lot of different ways. Uh, Talk to us about that aspect of the process and any other of these large categories of things people need to plan ahead for. Yeah, the the FAFSA form is is critical. Um, it, it's it's the form that essentially I think it's close to a hundred questions long. Um, it asks several different factors, and really it's to to try to find the right um, right amount of aid that you will be allowed, whether it's um, via you know loans from you know the U.S. Department of Education, uh, potential grants, uh, work study, but typically you want to apply, um, and, the, and the FAFSA typically opens uh, October first um, of each year. So, if you're a senior, you have the ability uh, shortly after October first to fill out that FAFSA form, and that will then um, really help you understand what your financial commitment will be. And JD is very good um, and helps with um, the FAFSA filing uh, for his clients because there are certain questions on the FAFSA form that if they are answered incorrectly can have a major negative impact on the type of aid or how much aid they get. Um, For instance, I know what's happened several times um, with some of my clients and just, just listening to JD is some of the FAFSA questions are um, assets. What kind of assets do you have, right? And anything under the retirement umbrella, okay? So 401ks, 
IRAs, um, annuities, um, even cash value life insurance. Um, those are non-countable assets on the FAFSA form. But if they're answered incorrectly, which happens often, then they will turn into countable assets. And at that point, the amount of aid that you'll receive is reduced dramatically. Um, and if they don't have the right help to understand that, it can have a huge negative impact. So um, the FAFSA is critical in terms of making sure that it's filled out appropriately. And that's just one example of probably many negative consequences, if not filled out properly. That's a really great specific example, because, you know, you might be thinking, you mentioned several specific examples, but if you have a cash value life insurance policy that you worked out with your financial advisor was a smart way for you to structure some of your assets, you might think that needs to get included there. And you're saying it doesn't and actually has a detrimental effect because if you list a value there, then they're going to say, oh, great, you're now on the hook for X percentage of the total bill because after all, you have this asset. Is that right? Correct. Yep, that is correct. Yeah. So, JD, uh, the, the FAFSA form, like any federal form, <laughs> is is long. Uh, it's detailed. And it, it, I'm sure it is accompanied by, like the IRS forms, you know, a whole set of documentation instructions that almost nobody reads. What are some of the other uh, key areas of that of that form itself that you really guide people around? What are some of the potential pitfalls? Uh, obviously, they have to answer everything truthfully, but in the process of doing that, there may be some hidden implications they don't necessarily know about, such as what Jason just addressed. Uh, what else would you say, JD, about the FAFSA process itself? Quite often, you'll hear people say, parents say that, uh, oh, we filled out that silly form and we didn't get any financial aid. That, that's a very common occurrence. And as Jason already mentioned, that uh, uh, a very high percentage of the forms that are submitted are submitted incorrectly. I believe it was from the Inside uh, Higher Education publication listed that uh, um, it was, I believe it was like 89% of all the financial aid forms, the FAFSA, were submitted with some form of error. One of the, one of the errors that I see is, especially with um, male students, is... Uh, the parents are helping this student out, and please, parents, you've got to help your students out. Don't let the student fill out the form by themselves. I always ask this question, would you allow your student to fill out your federal 1040 form? No, <laughs> please help them with that or get some professional help um, like Jason can help out with, with these things. Yeah, that's a so, great example. If you wouldn't let them fill out your mortgage refinancing application or your right. federal t tax return, don't let them fill out the FAFSA form. It's actually not for them anyway. It is for the parent to fill out. Correct. So as I, as I was mentioning, um, one of the questions on there is what's your gender, male? And then the next question is, um, uh, would you like to be listed in the selective service? Yes. Have, or have you been listed in, in selective service, which is the draft? And some parents are like, you know what, uh, my kid's not 18 yet, so no. Or, darn that government, I don't want my kid to be drafted. No. Uh, any type of no answer for a male student automatically disqualifies that student for any federal financial aid. Because as you're aware, every 18-year-old U.S. male citizen is required to register for the draft. And when we say no... Uh, that uh, um, that really negates that whole thing. And, and that's one of the reasons why these parents are getting this 
financial aid forms back with their EFC, their expected family contribution number, and going, well, we didn't get any financial aid. Yeah, they're 100% on you, right? Exactly. That's a really great point of a hidden pitfall. Given that this is a federal requirement anyway, you, it might seem innocuous on this form. You may think, oh, well, it's optional because after all, they said they gave me a yes or no. Uh, but it's a it's a huge mistake uh, to check the no yes. box. And it has a, a, a price tag. <laughs> JD, real quick, you know, what, what would you estimate? I mean, looking at your over the years, your clients, right? Um, before they come to you, if they did file the FAFSA, how many are incorrect? You know, six out of 10, seven out of 10. Do you have any idea? Um, if they, if they filed it on their own, I'm going to say, and I'm going to be very conservative on it. I'm going to say a hundred percent of them have some form of error on it. I had a, had a mom. So fat, the FAFSA is one of the financial aid forms. The second form is a CSS profile. And I had a mom call me up, uh, or actually I called her and said, hey, it's time to file the CSS profile and I'll help you with that. And she said, I already submitted it. And I'm like, okay, all right. Uh, the short story of it is um, the student was admitted to a, a, a selective college and was offered zero financial aid. And the sticker price was $70,000. And uh, mom called me up. Per year, yes, $70,000. Mom called me up and said, my daughter didn't get any aid at all. And I'm like, well, she should have gotten something based on the conversations that we've had and the numbers that I've run through my calculators. Plus, she was a fantastic student, uh, super great grades and credible test scores. Uh, her resume was packed full of leadership. She should have gotten something. And I said, well, give me let me see what you've got. And so she showed me all her documentation and I'm like, Oh, there's the problem right there. And uh, as Jason mentioned that uh, there is an umbrella over the retirement system, those assets are non-reportable assets. And she had reported those on the CSS profile. Well, we had to go back to the college and get them to correct that. And they did correct it. And the ending result was it went from zero financial aid to $50,000 in scholarships and grants for per year. And she got that all four years. Jason, what other mistakes do you observe? I know JD's the one in the trenches. You hear about some of these things, but as you're talking to families, as you're guiding them to him kind of and incorporating, this is one of the things that I think makes wild wealth management unique is that there's a way in which you are integrating your services to the clients. So if they need specialized tax advice, you're able to link them up with that. If they need specialized college planning, you bring JD in. What are some of the things you observe as the process unfolds uh, that are major pitfalls or mistakes people are making over and over? We've talked about the FAFSA form. Uh, obviously, the failure to plan at all is a, is a huge <laughs> mistake. What else do you see? Yeah, I think uh, really the biggest thing that I also um, have seen and recognized is um, the type of accounts that are being funded, okay? And um, I think most um, are aware that one of the more popular uh, college saving vehicles is a 529 college savings plan. Um, and ultimately how those plans work is you can put in, let's say, for example, 
I I think they can be funded up over $300,000 over uh, the 18 years prior to college. But most people can't fund it at that level, right? So you may have $10,000 that goes into that plan. Um, By the time your child is 18 and goes to college, there may be $25,000 in that savings vehicle. The benefit of that 529 plan is the gain inside that account. That $15,000 in gain, if used for qualified education expenses like, you know, room and board, tuition, books, et cetera, is tax-free. Okay, so it sounds enticing um, for that reason. We all want to save money in taxes if we can, right? Um, But if you really peel it back, there's some pitfalls, which we'll discuss, but really that's the only benefit um, is the tax benefit. If you've got a client who has 15000 in gain, per that example, and for instance, they are in a 20% tax bracket, right? Well, they save 20% of $15,000. That's $3,000 they save in, in taxes. Okay, that's, I mean, we want to save money in taxes, but it's not a massive amount. 529s can work if you put in a boatload of money, um, but a lot of people don't have the ability to do that. And quite frankly, we don't recommend it. You need to fund your retirement first because you don't get scholarships or grants in retirement, right? You can for school, for education. So um, usually what happens is if they're funded at all, they're funded at a low amount and you have really less benefit. The challenge with 529 plans is if if those funds aren't used for college education expenses, you pay a 10% penalty on the funds and you're hit with a whatever your tax rate is. So they're limited in scope. And the, the one thing I didn't realize until I actually met JD four years ago was, and I don't think many advisors do, quite frankly, is that 529 assets are countable assessed assets on the FAFSA form. So essentially, by having money in that 529 plan, and that's kind of how they're marketed per se, is here's what you save in for college, it actually can reduce the amount of aid you get from colleges because they now see that as a countable asset and say, okay, if we were going to give X amount in aid, well, now it's reduced by the amount in your 529 plan. So that's I see that constantly, and most don't understand the pitfalls of that. Now, obviously, we're talking here at a general level. You can't give anyone specific advice without sitting down with them and having a having a formal relationship with them. But I, I'm fascinated by what you're saying here as kind of guidance for people as they consider their options. JD, I'd love you to weigh in on this a little bit. 529 plans versus other vehicles, education, savings accounts, other kinds of ways to for a family to fund their part of the college journey. What are your thoughts on this? 529s are from from what I've seen, they've they've uh, had a, a negative impact on financial aid. As Jason mentioned that uh, they are a reportable asset. One of the one of the other things that I've seen is that when a family reports that they have a 529 at some of the more selective and the highly selective colleges, they can and have deducted the scholarship and grants um, dollar for dollar. As an example, I had a family who had $40,000 in a 529 and reported that to the college, and the college took uh, 25% of that, 10 grand, 
and subtracted the scholarships that they were going to give that student by $10,000. So, and, and that's and per need, year, right, JD? Per year, right. Right. Okay. So we need to look at, at all of these different assets. And this is where Jason's expertise comes in, is looking at these different assets, determining which asset is uh, going to have the best positive impact um, on financial aid. And then couple that with the, the things that we're doing at easycollegeplan.com with marketing the students to these colleges, marry those two together with need-based aid and um, merit aid, and we're going to yield an incredible scholarship package. Let's talk about the other elephant in the room, student loans, uh, something that many students and their parents uh, take on debt without considering the long-term implications and the, and the real cost of that money. Uh, Jason, can you kick us off here with, uh, with some thoughts about student loans and how they factor into these calculations? Yeah, right. So I think sometimes when we look at things just simplistically, right, where if I graduate with a $25,000 loan, well, you know, if the interest rate's low, which most of these federal loans are, it only costs me X amount. Um, and I can justify that um, going to college, which, which is fine. Um, the one thing at such a young age that's missed is called opportunity cost. And that's more kind of deep thinking that most people just don't understand unless they're in really my field or industry. And what I try to explain to parents is it's not really the loan amount that they graduate with, which is the real debt. There's opportunity cost that's lost. So, for example, if you graduated with $25,000 in student debt, well, now you've got to pay that back, right? Um, if we said over a 10-year period, you had to pay $250 a month to pay that loan back, then your total cost to pay the loan back is around $30,000, okay? But the real cost is not $30,000. The real cost can be far greater. And what I mean by that is if you graduated with no debt because you worked with someone like JD or just you got good grades and you got scholarships, right? you didn't save $30,000 in debt. If you effectively, and this doesn't always happen because you've got kids that graduate at 22 and they may not be saving that money. But if you hypothetically took that 250 a month for 10 years and invested that in your company 401k, or you set up an IRA for yourself, right? And you invested 250 a month for 10 years, by the time you're 65 years old, which would be kind of average retirement age, that real opportunity cost would be $437,000. So essentially, so Jason, you're, you're telling me that they're putting in $250 a month for 10 years and then stopping. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Just like you'd just if the loan so was this, paid off. So the same $30,000 over that same time frame. Correct. And I'm showing a growth rate of 6%, which is pretty standard in a, a balanced portfolio. I think we can make the argument kids maybe should be more aggressive depending on their risk tolerance. So the number could be higher, but it's a 17 times multiple. So really that $25,000 loan or debt that you borrowed really cost you $437,000. Um, and that sometimes it's hard to quantify numbers, um, especially for young kids. It's more of a conversation for the parent. But when you explain that, um, it makes the planning process so much more important and critical and more urgent, quite frankly. 
Well, it, it's fascinating because I think it's not just young adults that have trouble wrapping their head around this. As you said, Jason, the idea of opportunity costs, although very real, is something that's counterintuitive given the way human brains work. We all have a cognitive bias that the future is somehow going to be better than the past. And we, we, we look at things in very narrow ways and we don't think, well, the same $250 that I'm using to pay off my loans, if I did something different with that same $250 would put me nearly half a million ahead versus having paid off a $30,000 debt or $25,000 debt and interest and then be back at zero. So it's just, it's just so important that an advisor with this perspective is able to catch people early on in the process and say, hey, hey, now this brings us back full circle to JD's expertise, because if you want to avoid relying on student loans at all or too heavily in your college planning process. JD, you've got some other things you want parents to really think about when it comes to positioning themselves. You've mentioned a few, but positioning themselves to get the kind of scholarships, fellowships, free money, if you will, that may be available. Uh, it, this becomes more of a, a set of life decisions and how you're going to spend your time than necessarily some financial decisions, at least with that hypothetical freshman in high school. When she's just getting into the game, you want her to start doing things and thinking in a particular way. Can you speak about that? How do they develop themselves to be a, a desirable asset to the colleges and universities that they may be applying to three, four years later? So Jason alluded to opportunity cost. There's, there's another opportunity cost that uh, many parents and students either neglect to think about or whatever. And that is that the average student takes six years to graduate. So if we do look at just ASU, Arizona State University, the sticker price for one year at that school is, is $30,000. If a student takes six years to graduate, two additional years, the cost is going to be about $140,000. Well, how did I come up with that? That's $30,000 a year times two, that's $60,000. And the average college student earns about $40,000. So 40 plus 60, we're at $120,000. So that's, that's what we really need to think about with that. So one of the tools that we have at azcollegeplan.com is an assessment tool. And that assessment tool helps students identify careers, majors, and then colleges. When we're looking at, at the end game, my goal is for the students to not, not to get into college, but to get out of college as quick as possible with as little student loan and debt as possible so they can get on with their life and stuff. And one of those tools is, is that uh, career assessment tool that we use. Once the, once the student goes through that program, it generates a list of occupations. There are a lot of really great assessment tools that are available online. And the question that I always get after these students generate that list of occupations is, okay, what do I do now? Well, at azcollegeplan.com, we have... Uh, come up with an 11-step process that helps these students research these different occupations to help them figure out, hey, is this something that I really want to do? So when we're, when we're creating this whole student package, we're looking at all these different factors. Okay, yeah, should we join this club or that club? Should we do this activity and that activity? Those things are all important. And then, and, and then the other thing that's important is figuring out what you really want to do and figuring that out early on 
so that when you do go to college, you're more solidified with this is the direction I want to go into and are less likely to change your major and change your mind. Now, as we have this conversation in 2020, the thing everyone's dealing with, parents are worried about, students are navigating, college and universities are navigating, is, of course, the protracted COVID-19 crisis. Uh, how are students and parents feeling about this? What can they expect? Um, kind of what, what are you hearing with regard to what the 2021 academic year is going to look like for folks? So for those students that are um, going into their senior year of high school and will be graduating in 2021 and will start college in fall of 2021, this is truly the, a, a crazy time. What I've, uh, what I've been seeing with the, um, and I do keep my, uh, um, my finger on the pulse of the higher education with uh, uh, various different publications and what I've been reading with some of these is that they are currently waiving the SAT and ACT requirement. And we don't know if they're, that these seniors are going to be able to take this test or not, and if they're going to be able to take it in time. So what I'm encouraging seniors to do is to reach out to each one of these colleges and speak with the recruiter and ask that really important question for this year, because of all the crazy pandemic, what do I have to do for admission? And what, uh, what I am going to guess and anticipate is because these uh, tests, SAT and ACT, have been canceled, and as we look forward, even the August test that's coming up, August 2020, that one has also been canceled. Is the September, is the October, is the November test going to be canceled? We don't know yet. We're, we're too far away from that date yet, just yet. But my anticipation is that it probably will be. So what colleges are going to do is they are going to look at the seniors' mid-year transcripts. So it is going to be vitally important that these seniors get the absolute best grades that they can for the fall semester. Now, you offer a lot of different resources, JD, at azcollegeplanning.com. You have free virtual workshops and webinars. Uh, give us a, a, a quick guide. If someone wants to go deeper with you into understanding some of this, what should they do and where do they find the info? Of course, please start at the azcollegeplanning.com website. There's just a ton of information that's on there. I, one of the things that I, that I really enjoy doing is helping these students discover themselves and helping them market themselves to colleges. And in that process, I do an enormous amount of research, looking at different colleges and, and publishing uh, on my website in the blog section. You can There's literally hundreds of different articles that you can look on there. The other thing that's on the website, azcollegeplanning.com, is a link to sign up for the next uh, college workshop. And the workshops that I've been doing recently have been virtual workshops, so you can watch them from the comfort of your living room. Or if uh, you're unable to attend the live streaming, you can review the recording really at any time. So that's one of the um, best places to start is going to this website. Jason, as we wrap up here, what do you want to leave people with in terms of some general guidance, uh, top things they should be thinking about now in this, in this kind of quirky phase in, in the world's history, and how do they take action, get in touch with you, et cetera? Yeah, I, I think it's very important that sometimes when we have unknowns, 
um, it kind of forces, it's, it kind of paralyzes us, so to speak, because we don't know what to do. And really now's the time where you need more of a strategized plan um, to look at all the different scenarios that may take place. Because as JD mentioned, we really don't know. Um, and the schools, quite frankly, really don't know what things are going to look like next month, let alone next semester. So I, I think when you have unknowns, and this is this applies to retirement planning, um, any 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 planning financially, when there's more unknowns, you have to be more diligent in your planning. You have to address it earlier, and you need to probably consult a professional to make sure you go through every different scenario and or outcome, so we can make sure they feel comfortable about if scenario A doesn't happen. Well, now we know what scenario B looks like. So I think planning earlier now is critical. Very well said indeed. Jason File is an investment advisor representative with Wild Wealth Management Group. J.D. Wysalik is the founder of azcollegeplanning.com. Two excellent resources for you. You can find the Wild Wealth folks at wildwealth.com. That's W-I-L-D-E, wealth.com. And of course, azcollegeplanning.com. Jason, J.D., thanks so much for joining us for this conversation. Thank you, Adrian. Adrian, I appreciate it. Thank you. If you enjoyed today's show, please subscribe to Valley Business Radio on your favorite podcast app. You can also find the latest episodes online at valleybusinessradio.com. For all of us here at phx.fm, I'm Adrian McIntyre. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time on Valley Business Radio. Wild Wealth Management Group has ranked as one of the top advisors for the 12th consecutive year on Barron's Top 1200 Financial Advisors. Ranked number one in Arizona for 2020. Award recipient Trevor Wild, Financial Advisor at Wild Wealth Management Group. Barron's Top 1200 Advisors. Over 4,000 advisors who wish to be ranked fill out a 102-question survey about their practice. Data is verified and then applied to a ranking formula. The ranking reflects the volume of assets overseen by the advisors and their teams, revenues generated for the firm, and the quality of the advisor's practices. The scoring system assigns a top score of 100 and rates the rest by comparing them with the top-ranked advisor. Listing in this publication and or award is not a guarantee of future investment success. This recognition should not be construed as an endorsement of the advisor by any client. Securities and advisory services offered through Cetera Advisors, LLC, member FINRA, SIPIC, a broker-dealer, and a registered investment advisor. Cetera is under separate ownership from any other named entity. 7025 North Scottsdale Road, Suite 115, Scottsdale, Arizona, 85253.